0: Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. The Iowa Idea was originally conceived at the University of Iowa by University President Walter Jessup and Graduate Dean Carl Seashore in the 1920s. The Iowa IDEA brought together practicing artists and scholars to produce a new form of collaboration. The IDEA blossomed, bringing forth the Iowa Writers' Workshop, the Master of Fine Arts degree, and Iowa City's designation as a UNESCO City of Literature. Nearly a century later, the Iowa IDEA podcast explores modern collaboration, craft, creativity, innovation, and persistence. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. The Iowa Idea Podcast is produced in Iowa City by Spark Consulting Group.
1: In this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I sit down with Mike Montero, the co-founder of Mule Design. Mike has authored three books on design and speaks frequently about the craft of design and the importance of ethics. As Mike says, quote, designers are ultimately responsible for what they put forth in the world, end quote. Mike has recently started Quarantine Book Club with Erica Hall. Highly recommend that you check that out. And I want to thank Mike for joining me on the Iowa podcast, and thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for for joining me today. I really appreciate it. This is my Terry Gross-inspired opening that gives you a lot of room. So, if you don't mind, could you just tell tell me and tell the uh, the listeners of the uh, Iowa Idea a little bit about yourself?
2: Um, I'd love to. And but first off, thanks so much for having me, Matt. It's it's a pleasure to be here on the Iowa Idea. Um, Great podcast. Um, So I am. I'm a designer. I have, I'm, I'm old, so I've been designing things for a long time. Um, I've seen, you know, lots of ups and downs in the design industry. I've, you know, started life as a, a print designer. Um, actually, I started life as a child, but I don't think we're going back that far. Um, I started life as a print designer and then became a web designer and, you know, whatever the hell we're called now. Can I say hell in Iowa?
1: Yeah, use, use all the language you want. We're, we're home of the writer's workshop. The very, very foul language and, and ideas are welcome.
2: That's right. You know,
1: Iowa gets a bum rap, doesn't it? But there's things that come out of
2: Iowa. That's right. Right. Because <laughs> God knows nothing goes in.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, I loved it, it. You just slammed yeah. it perfectly. That was good stuff. Uh, no, I'm a designer. Um, I live in San Francisco now, uh, right in the middle of the garbage fire that is Silicon Valley. Um, and all of the terrible things that, that we have done um, during late stage capitalism to uh, lead us to the moment that we're in now. So that's me. That's me right in the middle there of all that crap, uh, screaming at people, maybe, uh, maybe don't
1: do that. So you've been, uh, and you've been in San Francisco for decades, right? I've been here since
2: 1999. Um, I was, I mean, I was one of those people who, who came to San Francisco and destroyed the city to work on the internet uh, at one point. And now I've just been here so long that I can yell at the people who are doing it now and feel legitimate about it.
1: Right on. So how did you get interested in design? I mean, I know that you have a, a BFA and an MFA, but how did you get interested in design? So maybe fake. we are going back to you as a child.
2: <clears throat> Making fake ideas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did that start in undergrad or were you doing that? I'm not
2: before? even kidding. No, no I mean, we, uh, I, I, I went to art school. Um, I'm originally from Philadelphia. Um, I went to uh, Tyler School of Art, which is part of Temple University. Uh, which is that other school in Philadelphia. Uh, You know, the hoity-toity pen people like to look down on it. Um, But, you know, they're still paying off their student loans, and I'm not, so they can kiss my (laughs) ass. Um, And, uh, I I mean, I was going to be a painter, because, you know, I I was looking for a career where I could make a lot of money, so uh, painting. Um, and while I was there, we, we were, we, I mean, we wanted to go see some punk rock shows and we were underage. So we started making fake IDs and we got really good at it. And um, I mean, that, I mean, that's a basic design problem. You have a, you have a problem, you figure out a solution um, and you figure out what the goals of that solution is. You have an audience, which is some big, scary balancer. constraints. You have constraints, like don't, don't get caught. It's a marvelous constraint. Um, so we designed a way to get into these shows that we wanted to get into. And um, I've been designing things ever since.
1: Awesome. Uh, speaking of punk rock, and I know you have a lot of albums behind you. Uh, what are you listening to now in the, in, in the time of uh, social distancing and sheltering okay, at home? So,
2: so I'm so glad you asked. Because I don't know if you can see it behind me. Well, our listeners can't see it. It's gorgeous. But right there, right there behind me, I've got Arthur Russell. Now, if you're not familiar with Arthur Russell, I'm listening to Arthur Russell because he was born in Iowa. He was born in Oskaloosa, Iowa. Right on. Is that a place you're familiar with?
1: Yes. Yes. There you go.
2: So he was born in Oskaloosa in um 1951 uh he got out of Iowa as as uh fast as he could and went to New York City um which is the right direction to make that move in i don't know what kind of idiot would move from New York <laughs> to Iowa um but he did that um and he he's a cellist he's a trained cellist and um all around weirdo made fantastic Music uh, didn't make a lot of it and died unfortunately at age 40 of AIDS in New York. So, there you're
1: enjoying that's the
2: music, it's fantastic. Everyone in Iowa should know who Arthur Russell is.
1: Well, this podcast is going to help. There's going to be seven or eight more people after this. There you go.
2: That's that's <laughs> half the state. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Uh, so you moved from uh, doing uh, uh, IDs, was that part of your portfolio to get into the BFA program?
2: Uh, no because I faked my entrance letter
1: too. <laughs> and just just a fast word for uh, some of our listeners, uh, one of the biggest things you, you talk about these days is ethics, right?
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I do want to get into a serious conversation about that. So. Uh, Got your BFA, and then why'd you get the MFA?
2: I, uh, honestly, because I Honestly, because I wanted to get out of Philadelphia at that point. Um, and not having any money, um, and, and kind of enjoying being in school, going for another degree seemed like the easiest way to get out of the city. Right. Um, I mean, that was a perverse lack of imagination on my part. But it worked. Um, yeah, and I got my MFA at the University of Texas in Austin, which I, I I would like to give a special shout out to here as possibly the worst art school in the country.
1: <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement.
2: It it really is. Um, I mean, Podunk, provincial, um, horrible. Just I. Worst decision I ever made was going to that school.
1: But and but I you, made some bad ones. And you stu- stuck, but th- you stuck, you stuck through it to graduate, right?
2: I did. I graduated. Uh, they didn't. I, I, eventually, I believe they gave me a degree just to get me out of
0: there.
1: And what was your focus while you were there? Were you painting? I
2: started out painting. I mean, I, I went, I. Um, I graduated with an, a BFA in painting, if, if if that's a thing. But that was my major, and I got into the painting program at UT um, while I was there. And this this was the early '90s. Um, there was a lot of of stuff, of a, a lot of like street art happening, and 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 uh, protest art and activist stuff going on. And, I mean, this, this was like right when, you know, ACT UP was at its zenith. And, you know, I'm sitting in a painting studio. It's like, this shit seems stupid. Um, and, you know, the, the um, for those who remember the Iraq War, um, not this Iraq War, but the previous Iraq War, or maybe it's just one long continuous war at this point. Um, but that was the first time in my life that the U.S. had been at war.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so that was a big deal. And I, I was an undergrad then, so just a couple years younger than you. But that was, I, I remember that being a big, a big deal on, on campus. And uh, it seems, it almost seems strange now, looking back, that it was more of an anomaly. And right? I think before that, it might have been like, the, uh, like a, a scuffle here and there. But right. right. And, and like now, I mean, now it's been this, no, this no. ongoing from 2001, right, that it really hasn't stopped.
2: Yeah, nonstop war. Um but that was that was the first time in my life that the US had been at war. Um so I I decided I I wanted to I wanted to make street art. I wanted to make like posters and wheat paste them out on the street and shit like that and make stickers and 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 angry things. Um and to do that, I needed to um uh, how do you how do you make letters? Like I didn't know. Um so um, I started, like, scouting around the school, and um, I, found, um, I found a room in the basement where they kept all the Macs, and yep. um, snuck in, you had to sneak in. I snuck in there and started typesetting things that I wanted to put on the posters, and I'm not even, like, designing whole posters at this point. Like, it was just, like, it, like you could open up this program called Word and type out, Uh, like a whole sentence or or a whole title for something. And then, um, oh, look, you can change a font. Um, So let's pick a good angry font and then let's make it as big as we can get on this piece of paper. And then let's take it to Kinko's and and keep making it bigger, keep Xeroxing it over and over. And uh, eventually like we'll get it as big as we want and we'll use a glue stick to to put the whole flyer together that we want. And that's how I learned um, that's how I learned how to how to design things, and uh, eventually I got tired of, it and it became harder to sneak into the Mac lab. Uh, so I took a design class, just to be able to do that, uh, and then I got sucked in, because at that point, um, at that point, doing things like that seemed a lot more important than anything that was happening up in the painting studio.
1: Yep,
2: I enjoyed it more. I got a rise out of people. I enjoyed getting a rise out of people. Um, And one of the reasons that I say that um, the art school at UT Austin is the worst in the world, uh, they did not take kindly to uh, a a grad student in painting deciding that they wanted to focus on something else completely. Uh, Growth Growth was a bad idea in school. It's not something that you want to do in school. It's something that's frowned down on somebody uh, learning and experiencing any sort of growth.
1: So So, a question for you, because I I know this has come up in some of your talks, and uh, when it just uh, sounds like a big influence for you was Victor Papanek. Yeah. But where did, where were you exposed to his, his work? And cause I'm kind of in the, the longer kind of form of this question is also, I'm, I'm really curious with designers today that I feel are missing some really big foundational elements that and in-depth in depth thinking. But first I'm just kind of curious on where you were exposed to Papanik.
2: Uh, my wife, Erica Hall. Okay. Um, we had, uh, we had started working together Um we met at a small design agency and eventually started our own design agency and you know i'm going off on rants all the time and uh eventually she's like you know your rants are starting to sound like this guy's rants uh but but you know not as refined <laughs> <laughs> right, right um so have you ever heard of this book and she turned me on to design for the real world and um i read it and i was like holy shit this like how how was this book not handed to to every designer on day one of design school?
1: Right. Um, and, and for me, it was actually a, a friend of mine in Minneapolis who was a student in the School of Human Ecology. Uh, he said that was the the best book he, and that was required reading for him. So, you know, that was a stroke of luck for him. He said it wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been exposed to it if it wasn't for his particular curriculum. But he he also manages large design teams and he still thinks that's. Some of the best thinking, yeah, towards design.
2: When uh, when I first uh, got exposed to design in an academic, in school, um, I mean the, the big thrill of the day was, hey, we have Maxno. Um, I came along right as we were transitioning from like. Exacto knives and you know burning our arms with wax and shit like that and all of a sudden here's these these clunky little like chubby towers that um, made type for you and and other things uh, so we were we were all way too busy being excited about this new technology it was, it was an entire shift in the industry and um, I mean of course we were It made total sense like. That, that, was, that was a seismic shift in, in how we were going to make uh, design stuff, how we were going to design things at that point. Uh, so I'm not surprised that everything else went by the wayside.
1: Yeah. that's it, it, um, Kind of similar time era. This would have been 90, 91, 92 school year during my undergrad. Uh, it was a literature course. It was uh, – uh, but the whole course we looked at um, – the Columbian Exposition of 1893, Chicago World's Fair. And, but we were doing it in a computer classroom uh-huh. and, uh, you know, all, all of the, all of these Macs were networked and we had to turn in, uh, we couldn't turn in a paper. We had to turn in interactive projects, which we were, we were coding HTML and uh, mixing that with Claris Works. Yeah. To, <laughs> to build presentations. Yeah. And we had to turn it in on Cyquest cartridges. Oh shit. 40, 44 meg.
2: <laughs> Do you remember the special sound that a CyQuest platter would make once it, once it broke down? It was like the sound of metal scraping against bone. And you <laughs> realize, God, my semester's project is on that thing and it's not coming back.
1: Right. There was no cloud backup. No.
2: It was like... <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. You were, you were an undergrad in the early 90s? Yeah. Yep. How are you younger than than me? You've got some
1: Iowa miles on you. <laughs> Ridden hard and put away wet. Yep.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the um, I'm I'm looking at Matt on video right now. Uh, you won't know it on the podcast, but let me tell you, uh, <laughs> he has not aged well.
1: Uh, as my dad always told me, I had a face for radio. Right. You do. Yep.
2: <laughs> I mean, we both do. Let's be yeah. fair. Let's be fair. This is. There, there are many places in the world right now where where good looking people are congregating, talking to each other. This is not one of them.
1: (laughs) So, uh, one of the topics I want to jump to is uh, some of the cool stuff you're doing with Quarantine Book Club. And uh, if you don't mind, just walking me through quickly how that sprung up, because you you really really had something interesting for a lot of folks staying at home. And uh, also want to find out what you've what you've learned, what might be some of the uh, unexpected outcomes.
2: Oh, I, I'm happy, more than happy to talk about this. This is, this is my life right now. I'm, I'm America's favorite cam girl. Um, <laughs> so we've been quarantined or sheltered in place or whatever you want to call it, or our freedom stolen away from us, as the Branch Covidians are saying um, for five, six weeks, maybe. And most of our revenue at this point comes from, uh, when I say we, I mean, me and my wife, we're Mule Design. It's just the two of us now, Uh, which is a whole nother story that we could go on about for hours. Um, But most of our revenue right now, or or up to six weeks ago, came from doing workshops and doing talks, uh, the occasional strategy project, um, but mostly if I wanted to earn money, I went on a road, I hopped on a plane. Um, I either did a workshop or I did a talk and, you know, there's a little passive income with book sales and things like that, which is nice. But, um, once, you know, travel became a thing that would kill you and others around you, uh, our income just disappeared. Um. There are many, many, let me state, there are many, 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 many people out there in worse circumstances. I, I have to say that because um, it's true. I mean, we're fine, but we, we needed to figure out a way to, you know, generate a little bit more income. And I'd always been averse to the video thing. Um, I love being in a room full of people. I love doing talks to giant rooms full of people. I feed off of them. Um, I need their energy. Um, so I've always been like hell with that Uh, but but as usual uh, she realized that I was being an idiot before I did which is great you need somebody like that in your life Uh, and she said no you're going to have to get over this you're going to have to do the video thing so I did a little test run where I said hey five bucks come and talk to me about my new book um, uh, Ruined by Design uh, and we'll do it over Zoom, and it'll be an hour, and you can ask questions. And uh, I had about 100 people show up for that. And, and it went really well. I enjoyed it. And, you know, best part, you know, I didn't even have to get dressed up and leave the house. Um, and after that, I thought, well, we may have a thing here. Um, I may do this again. Um, and very quickly, that turned into, wait a minute, we might have something bigger than, than just us. Um, we may be able to turn this into a platform for other authors because we know a lot of authors and a lot of them and and, and a few of them had had books that had just come out they were getting ready to do their book tours and um, I mean having written three books myself there's that moment when I mean you go through like however long it takes you to write your book you go through that time of hell and then there's the moment where you're holding the thing in your hand and you want to take your victory lap. And you've earned your victory lap. Um, and you want to go meet your fans. You want to sign some books. You want people to tell you, like, oh, I read this. It meant a lot. All that stuff is nice. Uh, and and um, these people were being denied that. And it was the right thing to do. It was absolutely the right thing to do, to, to call everybody back to their to, the, to their homes. Um, but we, we figured, well, there's there's gotta be an outlet for this. So it took us about three hours from, hey, we might have an idea, to Quarantine Book Club being launched, and being, uh, and, and you could get on there and you could see authors and you could buy tickets. That was like three hours. Because we were dealing with things that already existed, things that we knew how to use, and um if it was and if if it was going to be difficult to do or if it was going to take any sort of customization we didn't do it like to me i just wanted to use whatever was out there to create something quickly and see what could happen and we thought this was going to be a two-week
1: thing like a two a two-week lark why did you think two weeks was that when we were just when we were thinking that the uh, the virus would go away, or was that I figured, just... I
2: figured, I figured at the time, two weeks, and, and this will be over. This thing will pass over us, and, and we'll all be out, you know, going to movies again. Like, I remember at, at that point, I still had, like, a couple of workshops scheduled. Uh, one in San Francisco, one in Portland. And I was still thinking, well, we're going to do those. And then, yeah. I mean, there was one workshop... Um, that was supposed to happen this Friday, this coming Friday. And I remember at that point thinking, well, that is months away. Um, I was still going to do, um, I was going to a conference in Mexico City that was happening um, a couple of weeks after um, we initially went home. And they were still emailing me, thinking this is still going to, ha- telling me, this is still going to happen, be ready. So I think at that point, people were still like in two-week crisis mode.
1: Yeah, I, the, the timing for me too was uh, actually right now the uh, uh, Information Architecture conference is going on and I was supposed to be speaking in, and it was supposed to be in New Orleans, so I was really looking forward to uh, being in New Orleans. And uh, they switched to digital and it's recording the, the presentation. And then doing, so everybody's doing the best they can digitally, but like you said, it's it's also a different environment, right? Like when you're not in front of people, you're not reacting to people.
2: Yeah, everybody's doing as best they can. Um, There's, I mean, there's no, if you can make it to tomorrow, you're not fucking this up. (laughs) Right. That's been my motto. Anything that gets me to tomorrow is a great strategy, even if that includes like, You know, I'm just going to stand here in front of the open fridge and do shots of ready whip until I'm happy. (laughs) That's absolutely fine right
1: now. Whatever gets you through the night, right?
2: Exactly. Now, I I do think one of the things that people are, um, I think it's important to accept, and it's not easy, that's not the same as it being easy, um, that everything is different now. Yeah. Um, I've seen, conference organizers who are trying to shoehorn uh, their old, their, their, their existing conference strategy into a whole new online thing, kind of like trying to make wood look like plastic. Um, do you remember back when we first started doing, you know, web stuff? Yeah. And <clears throat> um, all of the web designers, or most of the web designers Um, came over from, like, there were people who who had been, like, doing, like, CD-ROM shit. Yep. So the first wave of web design all looked like CD-ROM interfaces. (laughs) It was awful. This is what we knew how to do. It's well, this is, I mean, the CD-ROM stuff is digital. The Internet is digital. What's the difference? Of course the CD-ROM interfaces are going to work online. It's the same thing. Um, but it took us a while to realize this is a completely different medium and needs to be treated differently. Some people longer than others, obviously. Yep, yep. Um, but I think the people who, who um, I think the, the, sooner we, the sooner we decide, well, the past is over, um, what's available to us now that we can use and try to figure out how to best make that medium work and um, figure out like what works really well over over things like zoom or stuff that we haven't even discovered yet and and i'll tell you people are already getting burned out burnt out out of zoom
1: yeah yeah
2: it was it was real exciting for a couple of weeks <laughs>
1: right. real exciting and, that, and then the virtual background thing was, was not novel enough to Oh, the God, day, let right? it go. <laughs> let it go. You are not on the Enterprise. Uh, as far as you know, <laughs> I could be anywhere. It's the magic of the internet. Uh, so one of the things I really appreciate about your work and your three books, uh, and from my perspective, uh, for what it's worth, recommend them, Highly to anybody interested in design, uh, for a couple reasons. One, I think the information you give is great. Feels like there's a lot of tough love in there, Mike, uh, especially when combining it with some of your talks. But I think that what I love from uh, design as a job through Ruined by Design is a, st- yeah. and I just want to one. Uh, maybe I'm poking the bear here, but uh, you're in San Francisco in Silicon Valley. How's Jack? I'm sure Jack's fine.
2: I am absolutely sure Jack is fine. Jack is making a ton of money right now. Folks like Jack are benefiting from this. I mean, I saw something in, I saw uh, an article the other day about how much uh, money Basis has made during quarantine. Um, it was, I mean, it was, it was in the multiple billions. It was 15, 16 billion. So yeah. they're benefiting from this shit. I mean, I'm spending a lot more time on Twitter now than, you know, I was when I could walk around and go places. So I'm sure Jack is benefiting from increased usage.
1: Right. Yeah. One of the things that's killing me uh, right now is um, just as a small business owner as I'm just seeing, seeing more published about where all the SBA money and small business money is going. I don't know if you saw like how much Ruth Chris Steakhouse is.
2: Yeah, I mean, we should have, we should have opened up a Ruth's Chris franchise.
1: (laughs) And with the promise of bringing more employees in the future, not now, right? We could furlough everybody, but we'll bring them back later.
2: Yeah, and um, I mean, I know a lot of folks who have been getting fired or laid off or whatever nice terms you want to put to it. Um, And, you know, they don't have jobs anymore. Uh, meanwhile, I've got a kid here who has who, who works at a grocery store who's going in four days a week. Yeah, and um, I mean, she comes back and she tells me horror stories about customers that she has to deal with on a daily basis, and uh, assholes, what assholes. Like anybody who's going out there right now and doing like essential work. I mean, hats off to them, and if you, ha- if you interact with them at a grocery store or, you know, a hardware store or something, I mean, if, you, if you've ever needed a time to be your kindest self, that is it right there. Absolutely. Like, yeah. don't, I mean... I mean, she tells me stories about idiots who, ref- who refuse to wear masks and, like, get up close and talk to her. And, you know, she's manning a cashier, and she can't move back that much.
1: Right. Yep.
2: And, and they're leaning into her wearing masks. And, I mean, I, I personally want to go, you know, find these people uh, and, you know, hurt them.
1: I know our local grocery store, I think, one is that I just feel uh, – a lot of gratitude for the, the folks that are working there, keeping the thing running. But it was interesting how quickly they put up uh, like shields and guards to try to protect folks. And they, they tried to uh, tape off like different six foot areas and also try to make uh, aisles one way. And that yeah. evolved pretty quickly. Um, and also trying to give seniors uh, a shopping time. Uh, before everybody else is l- let in, but that was—they
2: call it Boomer Hour. We're boomer Hour. Boomer okay. Hour.
1: <laughs> um, question for you on "Ruined by Design": uh, How did you get the Amazon message <laughs> on the book? So, for folks that don't, there, there, there's a message that workers can unionize. You, you give them a, me- and so it's for—it's right on the cover. Yeah. So. It's it's either for the humans or the robots in there, right? But they they see it every time they have to pack and chip, right?
2: There are there are plenty of humans on that line. I mean, if you you read the horror yep. stories, you know that there are h- humans who come in contact with that book. Um, and I just uploaded a new a new cover. <laughs> I uploaded a new cover, and there was a message with uh, a URL for. Um, the AFL-CIO's How to Form a Union uh, page on their website. And every human who comes in contact with that book while it's being printed and shipped uh, sees that URL.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Well, it's awesome
2: and it's not awesome. I mean...
1: Well, I appreciate what you're doing, I guess. I
2: try. I try, man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So maybe something a little bit more upbeat, but uh, what's Gritty doing right now? What do you, how, have you been keeping up?
2: Gritty is doing a heck of a job just trying to keep everybody happy and motivated, as only Gritty can do. Right on. Did you see, did you see uh, where uh, Gritty had to go to court for punching a fan? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no.
2: This happened a few months ago. It was great. So uh, some fan, and I put that in quotes because fans don't take Gritty to court. Right. Um, Some fan took Gritty to court for punching him during a Flyers game. And I mean, that did not surprise me at all because it's Philadelphia. Uh, But what I just loved was through the entire reporting of the event, Gritty was always referred to as gritty. No Philadelphia newspaper gave away the name of the actual person inside the gritty suit. It was always gritty, 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 gritty. We are not going to traumatize the children. We are not going to admit that there is a person inside this suit. It's always gritty.
1: And we're not going to dox that person, right?
2: No, we're not. Some things are sacred, Matt.
1: I love it. Mike, I really appreciate the the time today. Uh, and is there any, anything that you want to say about uh, Quarantine Book Club?
2: Uh, come visit. Like, seriously, like you go to quarantinebookclub.com. Uh, we've got guests of all, authors of all variety and types of books and genres in there. Um. And if it's something that you have no clue about, something that's totally new and strange and different to you, well, that's the one you should probably go to because you're going to find out something amazing. Like yesterday, we had a discussion about um, like, um, science during the Cold War. And you know how politicized it was. And then we had another discussion about some dude who discovered like 10,000 different types of fish. Come talk to an author. Come talk to somebody who's an expert at the thing they do. If it's a thing you don't know anything about, that's fantastic. Come learn about it. Because you'll walk out of there thinking, God damn, that was an hour well spent.
1: Uh unfortunately I missed the uh I missed the uh the Night Vale folks, but uh my daughter is a huge fan of Night Vale. How did the Night Vale conversation go?
2: It went great. They are yeah. uh, they're they're you know, they're pretty much what you'd expect. It's if nice here. It, have you have you been to uh, Iowa City? No, of course not.
1: It's like it's like a mini Berkeley.
2: Well, I wouldn't go there either.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it.
2: Uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: A family doctor. Holy shit. Come on, right here. And how they all set go. out one day in an ambulance ah. from New York to California at 150 miles per hour. California, here we come! But they aren't the only ones because this is the Cannonball Run. Were taking you, know, a hit. you know,
2: sometimes I wonder if, if he just says stuff without thinking about it.
1: He absolutely does, right? I mean, it's...
2: <laughs> oh, neurosyphilis. Yeah, we can yeah. talk about that for a while. <laughs> that's what today's episode is going to be about. Welcome to Neurosyphilis with Matt and Mike <laughs> stuff. That's good, that's good content.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be <laughs> in there. Okay, good. <laughs> It'll be like the, uh, uh, the out, outtakes of Cannonball Run.
0: Right. I'm very familiar with those.